My name is Dr. Josephine Palladmo and my superpower is creating business cultures that transform organizations team by team. With co-host Dr. Ian Butterworth, I discuss reactions to the days, a Netflix dramatization of the 2011 Fukushima nuclear disaster. We talk about what it tells us about leaders managing complexity and a lot of pressure. You won't believe where this conversation takes us. Hi Ian, how are you going? I'm well, thanks. Yeah, three weeks since I returned from Japan and still still un- still coming down from that wonderful high that uh, Japan gives me every time. I have never been to Japan. It's on the bucket list and um and so we are inspired by Japanese culture today and we're going to talk about something that you recommended to me before you went to Japan, which is the mini series The Days. Do you want to just um maybe give um our listeners an idea of what The Days are and why you recommended I watch it? Sure. Um I loved it because, well, it's it's about the Fukushima uh, nuclear disaster that came in the wake of the tsunami and the earthquake, um, 2014, and it shows what happens when you have, I guess, a system of uh, delegating authority to a privatized power company, which is ill-equipped to deal with the uh, actual full extent of the disaster. And I guess watching how Japanese society deals with something like that, it is so momentous and actually could have been a hundred times more devastating than Chernobyl. And through a combination of good luck, um, incredible risk-taking by those involved uh, and sheer tenacity, they managed to find a way to stop the whole thing just blowing up. Um, But I guess what struck me was how, um, and again, I'm looking at this through a Western lens, but just watching how those particular social um, mores in in Japanese culture both um, hindered and to some extent helped uh, actually coming through to a safe resolution. Um, I found it fascinating. Um, I've been looking at reviews of it today, which suggests that it's too linear and doesn't actually go into enough drama and f- focuses too much on, you know, what happened next and how did they deal with um, all the different uh, challenges that they had. But I, I actually found it quite fascinating to see how they, to see how a nuclear power plant didn't have enough backup systems to keep it operating and safe in the event of something like that. Um, And just showing how it came down to people hooking up, you know, battery jumper leads to actually keep the the control center going um, from, you know, using, taking batteries out of their cars. Yeah, it's pretty fascinating. And I, I I read the reviews too, and I, I want to challenge um, some of the reviews. Um, I mean, people have an opinion, but I actually really loved it, and it made me feel a lot of things. And I think we need to, you know, I, I kind of read those reviews, and I think maybe they they are coming from a Western perspective because the actual the actual it was a mini series that went over, I think, about uh, eight or nine episodes, and it was slow and sequential, and you saw. Um, 
you saw very methodically what happened at at at, at times, and in particular, what what those staff members and the I guess the leadership around them, including the prime minister's office, what they were dealing with in terms of the the natural disaster, um, and it was very um, methodical, methodical and sequential. But I think that it also really showed in that sequential state the very rigid way in which sort of Japanese um, social mores were, were kind of being played out. So I want to talk about that because I think that we have to view it from perhaps a cultural, an intercultural perspective. We can't just view it um, from our expectations of what drama needs to be. So that's one thing. Yeah. But, but before we do that... Um, I think let's just uh, let's just people have may not have seen it, so let's just go through some of the major sort of highlights. So, Fukushima um, Daiichi nuclear power plant uh, experienced an accident in two thousand and eleven. It lasted seven days, and and what happened was there was a massive earthquake which caused a huge tsunami, which you know we on the world stage were shocked. You know, I, I, I don't know if you remember. I'm sure you remember where you were when you were looking at that footage oh, of God, yeah. all of that water coming into Fukushima. It was just devastating. I've never seen anything like that before. And yeah. then, of course, the aftershocks. And what happened was that the nuclear power plant's uh, backup generators failed because of the, you know, the, just the sequence of natural disasters and, and also the flooding um, made it difficult to get into uh, the um, areas to to really create you know um, cre- create change that or improvements and I think also the control room went dead so there was no feedback about mm. what was going on and so the pressure was building up in yes. those um, you know in the reactors and and they weren't aware of it so there was lots of challenges and um, and what you do in the in the mini series is you see the um they the the people inside the plant um, communicating with people outside who were the minister's office and there was a whole kind of I guess I guess a bit of a war room around you know number of officials and the communication is is very stilted because the people in the power plant are waiting for instructions or waiting mm. for orders and um and as I was watching that I was thinking. How can you just be waiting for orders from people who are outside of the the power plant, and particularly in those early days? Um, and, and you know, in some ways, it it was really telling of the the ways in which those social um, sort of structures were impeding the agility or the 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 ability for the workers to act. And at times, they were given orders that they didn't agree with, for example. So they were they were putting up some ideas about what to try to sort of alleviate some of the disaster going on. And the people external to the power plant were saying, no, don't do that, try this. And it, it just, it, just it, it seemed crazy to me. So although I can see why the reviewers have said it lacked drama at points, it was almost like when you read a, a book and you create the drama in your imagination. That's what I had watching this. I was, you know, yelling at the screen from my <laughs> perspective. But you could, but it, it, I think it was very true to the experience. So I really enjoyed that part of it. And it was um, extraordinary what some of those um, workers had to do. And they, um, 
they actually, many of them um, really suffered very badly after the disaster. Oh so yeah. I think the um, the foreman who was played by an incredible role by Koji Yakusho, he, I think, died two years later of cancer because he mm. you know, was exposed to so much radiation. And um, and what I loved about the miniseries, too, if you love numbers, you're going to love it because they keep talking about the, um, uh, the, the pressure in the reactors and also the, the amounts of radi radiation that they were exposed to, which was very significant because there was an amount that they were allowed to be exposed to in a year and then you'd see the counter and it would be that much radiation just in one visit oh, to the reactors. And, it, and you, so you knew... The, you know, it, it was it was impending doom all around, you know, and so I I, I enjoyed it from that perspective because um, I had to keep turning off my my expectations of what I think drama should be. Huh. I, I think too part of the inertia and the standoffs between the various uh, players in the response. There's no way that a nuclear power plant wouldn't have backup systems that could consider every single eventuality. And I think what shocked me was realising that it didn't. Um, and so people had to make stuff up as they went along, which mm. I would have thought when you're dealing with something that can poison the earth for hundreds of thousands mm. of years, you really want to have it sorted out, which I think is a lesson for humanity and I guess... Uh, at a global level, we're seeing that playing out with climate change as well. We just haven't thought it through or the science isn't necessarily embedded in how things work. And and I wonder, you know, because we would call, we would do that risk management or mitigation um, process and think about, well, surely they would have gone through scenarios where, whereby, you know, they they have um, backup plans. And um, and it was interesting because obviously they didn't. And, may, and, and I think because the disaster was also off the scale. You yes. know, this is a huge disaster. But having said that, you would think that the scenario planning would include huge disaster. You know, this fails, this fails, this, this fails. Well, now what do you do? And it was interesting because what you saw were the actors um, – um, uh, trying to look through manuals. Oh, yes. I mean, they hadn't planned it seemingly for a tsunami of that size no. coming from an earthquake of that magnitude, whereas I would have thought if you're building a nuclear reactor next to the ocean, yes. you actually would need to think of the worst case scenario. That's right. That's right. And um, and it's interesting because when uh, – and I was, I was mentioning this earlier to you, Ian – when you look at the national culture studies and the, in their particularly differences between cultures, um, what you find is that Japan is really high on a uncertainty, avoidance, which means that they're not likely to, um, you know, want to take risks. There's a more kind of conservative aspect to the culture and that that's played out in the social mores so we sometimes look at Japanese culture from afar and we think that they you know there's a the way that the social systems play out that that there's a um, value in hierarchy and social status but in fact uh, you don't find that when you look at the cultural studies in Japan, what you find is that actually there's perhaps um, more individualism than you would think or more of a, a, a notion that, you know, there's, there's 
people don't necessarily value hierarchy. What they value is those social systems that create certainty for them. So when we were, you know, in the show, when they were deferring to the Prime Minister's office, for example, yes. you know, I was reading that as, oh, that sounds like they, well, it looks like they're really deferring to a hierarchical kind of power structure there, but it's actually about that is a routine or a practice that helps that culture avoid uncertainty. And so, you know, when you think about that, um, you would also expect that they would have perhaps um, gone to, you know, the lengths around risk management, but maybe um, maybe that's not the way in which that culture plays out or that, that element of culture plays out. Because it's if you rely on social systems to provide certainty, then you're not thinking maybe about those other ways in which you can provide certainty, which is some of the things we think about when we do scenario planning around risk. I don't know. I'm just kind of guessing. There were a couple of hapless characters, I think, within the Prime Minister's office who were meant to be providing him with um, frank and fearless scientific evidence about the current state of play, and they seem to be not saying anything. Exactly. And they were they were sort of they were sort of presented as the four guys for the the I guess what happens when that culture doesn't work properly. Yes. Um, but the prime minister's own behaviour, I think, he was presented as someone with <laughs> anger management problems and <laughs> being a bit of a bully. Um, I mean, which I think may firstly show the gravity of the situation, but maybe he needed to find a way to actually allow those people to express uncertainty or say they didn't know without fear of being um, punished for that. Yeah, exactly. And But, you know, he was, for me, it was an interesting presentation of a protagonist in his character because I think what he was trying to do was disrupt those social norms. He was huh. saying, just tell me the truth, you know. Oh, You're okay. supposed to be the expert. Just tell me the truth. Mm -hmm. And I think that um, be but because that behaviour is so misaligned to the ways in which those social norms normally play out, it just perhaps wasn't effective in the end. And and you're right, you know, the emotional range that he displayed was very, you know, immature in a way. So he looked like a boy having a tantrum rather than someone, you know, trying to get to uh, the, the, the core root of a problem. But, but you could see that he was very frustrated. And I was frustrated watching it too because yeah. it was so frustrating to see the um, saving face, you know, yes. that was going on. So even though there was such a dire problem, there was still a lot of saving face around that. And interestingly, even the workers, there was a there was a real poignant part of the miniseries where the younger workers go to the foreman, and you know, by yeah. the way, they were they were in this situation for seven days. No one was getting any sleep. You know, you can oh imagine. my goodness, and the younger. Uh, younger workers go to the foreman and they say, just let us leave. We want to yeah. leave. You know, this was at a point where they just were, were losing hope. And um, and then the foreman asks, you know, the superiors again, we, you know, can we evacuate some of the staff? And and it was, a, they were, that was rejected. They, they oh. weren't allowed to. And you can see that there's this, you know, this is, sense of futility around that you know if we're mm. all you know it's almost like everyone needs to you know why can't we save some of you and in the end the the foreman's behavior was um he he went against some of those you know i guess 
directives in yes. the end and just started to take control himself. Yes, and that was when right. the social systems really were disrupted completely. But it wasn't because this Prime Minister was trying to, you know, kind of exert control. It was actually when the foreman himself said, right, we, we're in this, we have to deal with it, we have to sort this out. I mean, the takeaway for me was they didn't really understand how the pressure came down in some of the, I think, two reactors still were building up pressure in their tanks. And mm. at the end of the day, no one really understood how that pressure came down. And it was just a, an incredible stroke of good fortune that it, ha it happened in a way that no one really understood. Otherwise, we we would be having a very different conversation absolutely, right now. Absolutely, absolutely. It would have been. I think at one stage, I think they mentioned that it could be. It could have been all of um, the, you know, the whole country as well as other countries impacted. Yeah. It would have been, the northern part of the world even. So yes. yeah, it would have been dire. Absolutely dire. And I. I you know, it's interesting, isn't it, that I think that that is like, for me, the lesson too is this is a situation that was highly complex, highly ambiguous, and you can see how the things that perhaps had brought uh, the company success in the past just weren't working. You know, because you can imagine there's a – even the, even um, this, this idea of going into a manual to try to – learn how to deal with a problem you're facing that is that you know dire you know it was it's not about going into a manual it's actually about bringing people together and you really need to get the the, the smarts in the room working and um you know you need to get you know enable creativity and to your point you need to enable a, a an environment where people can fail or can can present uh, ideas that might fail and they need to do that quickly whereas the 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 fallback the default was uh there must be an answer in our manuals <laughs> <laughs> and and that's an in some ways it's an engineering uh approach or a, you know when you're dealing with complicated systems there'll be a manual and you can work through that system in a rational way but there was just no um, no way that they could work in that way to solve this problem. So what do you think might happen now with the advent of chat GPT? Do you think they're uploading manuals into the cloud and God, God forbid there's another disaster? Would people be trying to consult, you know, some sort of AI uh, mechanism to maybe come up with solutions? You know, and that isn't it an interesting analogy. I, I actually don't. I, I interestingly, a lot of the uh, discussion around AI and responsibility of AI, you know, using AI responsibly, and and the and whether we should slow down the progress and all of that has actually um, been a reaction to knowing that we are in chaos around it. So there is no because um, I, I, I we don't really understand the complexity. Mm. So uh, and I and I think that the the complex system is moving beyond our understanding, and so in a way, there's you know the, you can run. There's a lot of parallels between what happened at, uh, at you know in the days uh, portrayal of um, Fukushima, and what we're experiencing with AI. And I think some of it will be luck that we yeah. end up at the other end, and maybe some of it will be about. The you know in some ways the world's leaders experts 
thinkers and all of us because we're all weighing in to this discussion as well, which is great. We need all of us to weigh in and and think about um, some of the ethical implications of AI so that we can mitigate some of those down the track. I think it's a really good discussion that we're having. I don't think anybody has a, a solution to it, though. What about the sort of generic psychological concepts of groupthink and um, the sorts of conundrums that face organizations possibly worldwide do you think do you think there were elements of basic psychological behaviors in a group setting that were that were on display in the days that maybe transcend the specific culture of japan mm, that's an interesting question i guess there was um there was a, definitely a sense of um probably not um almost compliance but it's not quite compliance there was a sense of seeking comfort so i think every time there was a possible solution offered and there was action around that possible solution there was a sense of ameliorating discomfort around that so and that they would then um although some of the solutions were very difficult to implement but um but i think that there was a sense of going back to um wanting to go back to a kind of homeostatic uh, state where we know what we're doing. So there was always a sense of wanting to go back to, yes, we know what we're doing. We've got a, a plan. And even the the dialogue between the leaders and the, 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 the workers on the ground were always about trying to get to certainty. And maybe um, that is actually a competing... Um, demand in a way because when you're dealing with complexity you actually need to open up creativity and innovation and you know kind of in some ways blue sky thinking around things and if your aim is trying to get back to certainty then you're probably going to miss some avenues or, or miss some some ways to solve problems that you're not quite thinking about so so I think that there was something around that um, I don't know, you know, I don't know, I didn't, I couldn't see groupthink necessarily. Definitely lots of wanting to save face as yeah, well. Definitely. definitely lots of that. Um, and, you know, just, you know, on the positive side of humanity, just some really courageous individuals, obviously, that were very, um, that were putting the, their own health at risk for the benefit of others. And there was, you know, definitely that altruistic sense of working together um, and, and a camaraderie that was formed actually at, at the worker level as well. They were all kind of um, that team-based camaraderie was there. But I think, yeah, I think that there's, when I think about it, that that cultural element of uncertainty avoidance was really playing out all the time. We want to get to a, you know, we want to get to an, a solution. This one will work. And then they try and fail. And I wonder about, if, um, I wonder if say all the nuclear power generators in Japan were state owned. I wonder what the, what the response might be because you had an organization, you had a corporation trying to save face at a corporate exactly, level. That's right. Um, and, the sense that there were two different tribes. There was the state, there was the, the federal government at one level and you had the corporation at the other. And I think part of the breakdown was it wasn't just individuals trying to save face, it was at an organisational level too. Um, and I just wonder how well, like human decision-making 
in, a, in an environment where something might actually blow sky high and <laughs> potentially shut down the whole Japanese economy and require yeah. the relocation of 100 million people. I don't know about you, but I mean, I don't even function that well when I can't find my credit card. I don't know. <laughs> I mean, how does human thinking and decision making go at that when the stakes are that high? Exactly, exactly. And and you could see it. There was it, it, almost the organisational um, machinations were ineffective because you could see that it was about even even the delay in really getting uh, assistance in from other experts. So it took days for um, the announcement to go out globally and for global experts to help. There was a delay there and the delay first came from the organisation itself, the company itself, not wanting to, um, I guess, admit that, that there was a real problem there. And then, and, But I saw that in the way that the... Um, you know, in some ways that the government um, acted as well. I, I could see there was much more um, similarities between the government and the and the corporation. I think I don't know yes. if the privately owned aspect here, uh, particularly in this in this case, made much of a difference because I guess of the cultural elements at play. But you could see that you know we we have this in in some ways in AI. It's it, it's private sector driving this you know where 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 is government in this government are actually um 10 steps behind right now in terms of what we're doing with ai so for me extrapolating the the fukushima example to the global climate emergency that we're clearly in now i mean i if i'm thinking about the governor of texas and um the terrible heat dome that's been existing over southern US and northern Mexico during the month of, of June and July. Um, the, the Texan governor has stripped out occupational health and safety provisions for people working outside. Um, and I'm, I believe that it's, uh, it's due to his own ideological position that denies climate science when you've got the whole of the Texan economy propped up to a large extent, by fossil fuel industry, and I'm imagining that his political party is resourced extensively by fossil fuel interests. I, I, sw- I somehow see some echo of the, the Fukushima example with the sort of denial of the true gravitas of a situation and the unwillingness to actually acknowledge to citizens that there is mm. an emergency playing out in real time. And I guess I understand that governments don't wish to unnecessarily um, alarm people and create mass panic. But at the same time, there must come a point where you can't actually pretend that everything's okay and you actually have to acknowledge that, you know, the, the normal rules of engagement don't apply and that different responses are required. I, yeah. I don't have an answer. No. But, um, yeah, what are I your agree. thoughts about that? Yeah. I agree. I think I think that there, there has to be a point at which particularly we acknowledge that, that new rules uh, or old rules don't apply and new rules are required, new norms are required. And so, you know, because, for example, that Texan um, example, the governor could have easily have strengthened some of the health and safety um, regulations in 
in um, you know recognition that yes. there there is a climate emergency here. So so you, you and and I think unfortunately these we we have these competing demands and. When I when I mean what I mean by competing demands, they're commitments that on their own have very good intentions behind them. So, for example, the commitment to want to provide safety and security to the population or the community or your workforce to uh, you know not necess- not unnecessarily provide stresses for them um, to you know some of that is a, is a great commitment that shows care. But on the other side, this commitment about um, bringing um you know creating a a a version of yourself as an organization or even as a um as a state um for example state of texas providing a version of yourself that's an ideal self that doesn't acknowledge some of the real challenges that you have that that again is a compete it will compete against our understanding of what what we really need to do and i think that the problem the problems we face is how do we really face into problems that, that make us feel vulnerable mm. and sometimes hopeless and and because we don't know. And it's about that facing into problems and really understanding and acknowledging and expressing that we don't know. That takes a lot of bravery and and it takes a culture that allows for that. So going back to the organisational framework, I've always loved the work of um, Dalmau and Dick and the the diagnostic manual for looking into organisational uncertainty and doubt. And they talked about very superficial issues at the levels of procedures and practices, things that you can sort out quite quickly. But then at a deeper level of uncertainty and doubt is the level of goals and direction. And those are still largely conscious things. But when you go even deeper into the bedrock of an organisation, you're actually dealing with the unconscious life of an organisation and the shared vision and identity uh, and deep sense of purpose and mission, which I think when calamity strikes, either internally or externally, you actually get shaken right to the bedrock of, you know, who are we? Why are we here? Do we like each other? Um, what's the dream hold keeping us all together? Why do I come to work every day? I, I get the sense that maybe these sorts of emergencies, whether they're you know visceral ones at the level of Fukushima or whether they're the sort of the slow boil that we're now going through with climate, at some point at, a, at an organisational level and a societal one, we're actually having to face some very deep existential questions about who we are and... <laughs> what are we doing, you know? Um, is the game over? Do we have to come up with a new way of seeing that actually renders the old one mm. uh, defunct? Exactly, exactly. And I and I think, to your point, I, I don't have the answers to that either, but I think having conversations where we even just explore what those doubts are. Because I, li- mm-hmm. I, I like that framework too. I love that you know, what are the doubts here? Because that then unearths the things we sometimes don't feel like we can talk about. And from a, you know, very practical application at an organisation, you know, you could you could be asking staff, what are they, what are the doubts? And I know you've done some work around this. What do they doubt about being here or about this organisational purpose or about, you know, what, what, what are those deep worries that they have? And I think sometimes in a 
in a culture where we're goal focused, promotion focused, we sometimes don't allow for that, uh, for the shadow. We don't allow for the dark shadow and we can't avoid the shadow. The shadow is part of the light. And so, but we need a really respectful way of, you know, discussing that and then obviously not leaving people in that, you know, you need a way of um, doing that carefully. And so, I, I, you know, it's not for the faint-hearted uh, and, you know, I'm, I'm not I'm not suggesting that, you know, for example, manager A go to work tomorrow and say, okay, everybody, we're going to go into our shadow today. It actually requires a bit more um, care than that um, and it also requires a really skillful facilitation, but you can actually elicit what those shadow what that shadow is and and then have a discussion about well what would we do about that i think that would be amazing yeah in the old days um you would be having an ear out for the conversations at the water cooler in the office i'm not quite sure what it's like now post pandemic um with so much virtual stuff going on you have to you have to have deliberate spaces to talk about it because mm-hmm. what we get now particularly with you know with hybrid working people are in the office but um, they're not there all the time and when we bring people together we often um, perhaps are, are erring on bringing people together for a positive experience mm. or a positive conversation or you know planning for the future and um and you know, being involved, being involved, and co-creating the future, which is fabulous, and using some of the, you know, sort of tenets of positive psychology. We're building on strengths, and you know, we're not necessarily going into doubts and shadow, and you know, the things that that we we we're scared about, you know. And so, but I think that you can allow for that. You can absolutely allow for that. But the, but as I say, you have to do it skillfully. Yes. Yeah. Well, hopefully, we won't be. F- dealing with a Fukushima scenario anytime yes. soon. Yes, that's right. But, and and interestingly, you know, interesting conversation, Ian. So, you know, we've gone from Fukushima all the way down to AI and then all the way down to, you know, how to apply it in, uh, in how to elicit some of that uncertainty and doubt in organisations. And there are strands here, you know, it's sort of like I think what we've, what we've done today is sort of, thrown up some of these strands and we'll just see where they land (laughs) all right i'll go and put some plastic sheeting down see what happens (laughs) all right well lovely to speak to you ian all right yeah Bye. bye